Hello everyone and welcome. My name is Andrew. And I'm Rachel. And we are PCSE Podcast. We are a true crime podcast aiming to put you, the listener, at the scene of the crime. Each week we delve into the murky world of lesser known crimes from the UK and Ireland. And occasionally we venture into renowned cases from around the globe. And with any true crime podcast, listener discretion is always advised. And today's episode is no exception. If you like what you hear, please do follow us on whatever social media platform you prefer. Subscribe to us on your preferred podcast platform of choice. And if you have the capability, give us a rating and review as well. It really means the world to us. It does to me anyway. Does it to you, Rachel? Always. Our listeners, our wonderful listeners know how much we love hearing from them and engaging with you all. So yeah, ratings, reviews, um, feedback, anything is always welcome. And if you like us that much, that you want to support us, you can do so for less than the price of a cup of tea or coffee on Patreon, with our lowest tier starting at £1 per month. We release bonus content every single month. And the links to our social medias and Patreon can be found in the show notes, or visit patreon.com forward slash scenepod, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash s-c-e-n-e-p-o-d. And we are actually now, Rachel... Yes, I think I told you this. Um, yesterday, I opened an account up for us on Threads. Oh wow, how trendy! I even had to go through the VPN because it's not it's not available in the EU yet for data reasons. But so I had to pretend I was in the UK. But yeah, so we are on Threads now. We've got how exciting! Two, two posts on there so far. Do you know we'll what? I'm not even sure how to get there. So uh, you'll definitely be in charge <laughs> of that for for a couple of weeks. And yeah, well, see how it goes. We do, where possible, now release our episodes a week early for our Patreon supporters. So you don't have to change your name to Bill or Ted and jump in a phone box to time travel. All you need to do is subscribe to us on Patreon. Then it really will be party on time. <laughs> love it, love it. This this episode is being released the day before our very first ever live episode in which we'll also be giving away two sets of prizes of some merchandise. So it's not too late to sign up to Patreon and be in with a chance of winning and watching us live. The nerves are building. So you can win a prize and you can win a booby prize of having to watch us live as well. I don't think that's a booby prize. I think that's a joy within itself. Yes. You can watch Andrew fluff up the introduction (laughs) several times. Yes, yes. Thank you for pointing that out, Rachel. Listeners, just for context, we record very early in the morning, like before the school day starts, um, before work starts. But this time we'll be recording in the evening, so it'll probably be me fluffing up the words. Uh, Andrew is not a morning person, and I'm not an evening person. So, uh, you know, it's anyone's guess what it'll be like when when our wonderful Patreon supporters join us for the live. You think if we were sensible, we'd probably do it at lunchtime? <laughs> yeah, but how many people can like take a lunch and and jump on a Zoom and yes. get to get to enjoy a bit of true crime during work hours? It's not viable, is it? But exactly. And who wants to watch me eat my corned beef sandwiches? Ew, corned beef. Yeah, let's not go there, Rachel. I still want what? to be your friend. What an odd thing to put in sandwiches. <laughs> I am a fan of corned beef hash, however. Well, there you go. There's a little bit of hope for you then. So, Rachel, how are you doing? Yeah, good, thanks. How are you? I am not too bad. Thank you very much. Good, good. Happy, happy, happy. I haven't, 
I haven't actually told you this. Uh, so we're getting a, a, a live reaction from Andrew on the pod. Um, but <laughs> found out on Sunday we're having a girl. Oh, wow. Nice. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So everyone's very excited. There was a cute little gender reveal. Just the three of us, um, my partner and my little girl. And uh, yeah, we had a, a wonderful uh, time uh, celebrating. And then um, he, he doesn't listen, so he can't shout at me for telling you all this. But uh, Lee found it all very, very overwhelming and fell asleep. <laughs> <laughs> well, when he's going to be in a household with three women, he's not going to have many chances to fall asleep, is he? No, exactly. And to be honest, I reckon I spent most of my first trimester napping so um definitely he he is owed a nap or two around the house but uh yeah he doesn't listen so i feel like it's a safe space to to tell you all definitely but that's awesome news so so yeah i'm um, i'm really happy with that that's great oh, thank you well it's, it's a shame we've got to talk about death and murder now but are you yeah are you ready for some true crime oh yes andrew let's go for it so oh, if it's safe for you to do so I'd like you to relax, close your eyes and picture the scene. Today I'm taking this to the 28th of May 2018 and we're visiting Morecambe in Lancashire. Now Morecambe is a seaside town that faces the Irish Sea and it's relatively new, having formed officially in 1889 and it grew from a settlement that arose around a railway line and the name itself originates back to Roman times. It used to be a thriving tourist attraction in the UK especially to people from Scotland and Yorkshire due to its rail connections, but it gradually declined, eventually losing both its peers due to disrepair and fire, and the final nail in its attempts at saying a popular destination. Now, the reason why I think Wise is talking so much, because I found this fascinating, final nail in its being a tourist destination was the Blobbygate scandal. Have you heard about that? It's Mr. Blobby. Yes. And like Mr. Blobby World. Yes. Right. Okay. Tell me more because uh, I had read a little bit about it. And again, only because our listeners like hearing these cringe stories, I'm going to, I'm going to venture into it. But when I was young guys and girls, I was a little bit of a porker. And um, the Mr. Blobby single came out in when I was about 10, maybe nine or 10. And my brother bought it. For me for my birthday he he's bought me two presents in my whole entire life on my birthday he's bought me the mr blobby single and a plaster and the plaster was because he was going to beat me up the next day and i'd need it for like the blood so um so this mr blobby single was bought for me and he then proceeded to torment me for the next couple of years whenever i'd walk into a room he'd hit play on the cd player it like honestly it was like traumatic and now like yeah when I talk about it it makes me feel sad because my brother definitely ripped the back out of me for being a, a bit of a um a round child uh growing up well yes um well in the mid 90s saw Noel Edmonds and the local council go head-to-head in a legal battle due to the world of crinkly bottom attraction in Happy Mount Park and because it closed after just 13 weeks and it ended up costing the council $2.6 million in legal fees and an out-of-court settlement with no Edmonds. Why did it close so quick? Was there a because crash it, or something? Because it was crap. <laughs> <laughs> no one went to it, really. Um, yeah, no one went to it. It's a whole new episode, but it's not a crime, so we can't go into it. Yeah, but that 
in itself, it does seem like a crime that Blobby, Blobby World uh, closed, but it's not why we're here today. Today, we're going to Levens Drive in Haysham. Haysham, <laughs> technically, it's not in Morecambe, but it's on the outskirts of Morecambe. So, yeah, it's six minutes past four in the morning, Rachel. It's a dry night. A strong westerly wind was blowing. It was around 12 degrees Celsius, which is around 50 deg- 53 degrees Fahrenheit. And it was at this time, six minutes past four, that I'm sure all of the residents of Levin's Drive will remember because a fire engine came rushing onto the street, all sirens blaring, and it was there to deal with a fire that had broken out on the street. Now, some of the neighbours were already awake as they were the ones who had called emergency services about the place. The fire service were also alerted due to a smoke alarm that was linked to them coming from a home. The fire was so strong that it took two hoses to get under control and eventually put put out. Now, the fire service crew didn't know 100% if anybody was in the bungalow, but some of the neighbours did hear screaming coming from the bungalow, and they also told the fire service that an elderly lady lived there. So six of them entered the home while it was still burning, and each one of them was hooked up to some breathing apparatus, so thick was the smoke, to search the home. Now, as they searched the bungalow in the conservatory, they missed her at first, but they eventually saw her, and they found the old lady passed out underneath a coffee table that had been pushed up against the door. Oh, dear. So they took her outside and treated her because she was still alive before an ambulance eventually rushed her to hospital, uh, the Royal Lancashire Infirmary, where she was treated mainly for smoke inhalation. Now, that doesn't sound serious, does it, Rachel? But no, it was... Secondary, yeah. secondary fire can, can kill, can't it? The, you know, all of the impact on the... Not the secondary fire, sorry, but, like, the, the impact on the body, you can die of something, like, n- not related to the initial fire, but, like, the, the impact, so, like, yeah. yeah, exactly right, because it, it was serious, because they had to, as soon as she got to the hospital, they had to move her straight to intensive care. Yeah. And sadly, just four days later, she died. And, and that's the thing, like, it's the, it's, there's all sorts of chemicals, aren't there? There's a smoke, there's obviously burns as well that can can affect the body, but, and there's the stress on the heart, like, thinking about this old lady, she's pushed that table up against the door um and gotten under there um to to keep low um and away from or as best she can away from the flames um and that that must have been quite a high stress scenario for her yeah well her cause of death would be listed as smoke inhalation and pneumonia but i believe the pneumonia was brought on with the stresses on the body from the actual smoke inhalation so yeah it was sad so the question is, who was this lady that tragically died as a result of the fire? Was it arson? Was it an accident? Or was it maybe criminal negligence? Do you know this case, Rachel? No, I don't know this case. But um, before we move on, can I just say, you know how um, residents say that they may or may not have heard screaming? Yeah. It must be so difficult for emergency services in the heat of the moment, and that's not a pun intended, but in those moments when they're getting the calls and they're kind of working out the state of play um, to to gauge what's true and what's not. Because in stressful moments, people 
believe in scenarios in their head they believe something that might not have happened oh i think i heard screaming but have they just associated that the burning fire in the house with someone that is suffering and and not heard screaming like i always think it's so so difficult um having watched a lot of documentaries as well like when there's an active shooter for instance they get a lot of 999 calls with different information oh the shooter is in this part of the town oh the shooter's in this part of the town oh i heard gunshots in this street you know they've got so much to contend with haven't they and those 999 calls that come in for house fires and car accidents they're they're, they're just gathering so much different information and people's opinions yeah that's very true that's very true so let's look on let's look at the case and if you don't know it I'm glad you don't know it because we're still going to look at it anyway. <laughs> so the lady that died was Mary Gregory, and she was 94 years old at the time of her death. Oh, dear. Now, Mary had lived an interesting life. She was born in 1924 in Uneaton, which is in the Midlands of England, near Birmingham, and she was 15 when World War II started. Huh? And, that, and that helped shape her to want to have the best life she could have for herself she would go on to have two sons, Chris and Peter, and would eventually move to Haysham, which is in the Morecambe area. Well, she was now a widow. Both of her sons lived locally, with Chris having a wife who had a son already. So while he was just Chris's stepson, he was looked on as a son to Chris and a grandson to Mary. Peter also had a family. Uh, there was less information. I think he was less public about his family after the incident, so I couldn't really find much out about it. But yes, we also had a family. But Mary was fiercely independent. And even though she was suffering from dementia, she lived alone still. And she did so because she had a set of carers that would visit her to cook, clean, wash, and generally look after her. You know how it is, Rachel. She was, even at that age, still a heavy smoker which is something you don't see in a lot of people her age because not many heavy smokers make it to 94 years old, do they? No, absolutely not. And when you said, you know, at 15 and World War II shaped her and wanted to have the best life, I thought, wow, she's obviously led a really grand and, and probably quite healthy lifestyle to make it to 94 and still living on her own. But do you know what? Uh, it, isn't it odd how some people can smoke and drink and live to a ripe old age and others no smoking, no drinking and you know, they're affected by some of the worst diseases um, at, you know, a younger age. You just you just can't, you don't know, yeah, do you? You never know, no. So her family, they cared for her. Cared as in they loved her and they she was an important part of their life. So her carers would keep a daily logbook so they could keep, so her family could keep up to date on everything to do with Mary. And there was nothing really to suggest why anyone would want to kill her, or at least at the very least, set a fire to her house. Due to her age and the fact that she suffered from dementia, she didn't really have a big circle of friends or really many friends left. Both her sons loved her and both of them were well off enough not to have money as a motive, either for arson or murder. Like There was really no reason whatsoever for anyone to want to kill her. So maybe it wasn't murder. Her grandson in all but name, Jaden Darton, who was now 17. So this is her son's stepson. Yeah. He, he was even always, even though he wasn't related to her either by blood or marriage, because 
her son never married um, his partner. He he was always vis- visiting her. He called her grandma. He professed his love for her and affection. And he was constantly at her house and seeing how she was. Just as a probably for full ex, probably for full disclosure, the day before her the fire, the carers her carers had recorded in the logbook that she'd argued with him and was annoyed with him. But oh. we, you know, all families argue at some point, don't they? And yeah, and he's a seventeen-year-old boy as well. Yeah, you know. she's ninety-four. So yeah, there's a, there's a big kind of generational gap there. So yeah, well, as expected and as usual in this sort of situation, an inquest was held into the fire to determine what was the cause and if it was intentional or not. The inquest would depend heavily on a joint investigation that was taking place into the fire by both the police and the fire service. Now, that investigation was spearheaded by an independent fire investigator, Jim Stone, and he would conclude in August of 2018, so almost three months after the fire, that the fire was accidentally started due to a cigarette that had been discarded that was still lit. And this tied in with the fact that Mary suffered from dementia and was a heavy smoker. So due to the investigation result, the coroner had the inquest returned a verdict of accidental death. Wow. Now, yeah, now, however, Rachel, as sad as any death is, I am really brave enough to bring you and our listeners an accidental death, am I? Yeah, this is a true crime podcast, so there's definitely something more sinister at play here. I'm just waiting for you yes. to drop that in. Well, at, at the very least, there should be some suspicion of crime, even well, if one could never yeah. be proved. Yeah, yeah, we have had cases before, haven't we, where there's been speculation? So, so yeah, and you'd be right in thinking that I'm not bringing you accidental death, because it's just a few weeks after the fire that ripped through Mary's home, Something was bothering someone, Rachel. Tiernan Darton, Mary's grandson, he was troubled. It was just a few weeks after the death of his grandma, the woman he called grandma, and he was playing a game of truth or dare with two of his friends. And he was dared to say his deepest, darkest secret. And he would go on to say this. I have a secret I I haven't told anyone. I may have killed someone. Now, he would then go on to tell both his friends that his grandma was suffering so he set, with her dementia. So he set a fire to her home to put her out of her misery. And that he did it for her. That he set a fire to the curtains in her bedroom. That's, what he, that's how he told them he did it. Oh, wow. I was not expecting that plot twist. He then tried his best to convince his friends not to tell anyone. But that turned out not to be a hard task because they didn't believe him anyway. Oh. They had been watching CSI programs and horror movies before The Truth or Dare, so they thought he was just making it up to tie into that and to impress them. Yeah. So that was all forgotten about. And as I said, in August, the inquest was held, an accidental death verdict was given, and the months passed and everyone got on with their lives. A year after the fire, Tiernan, who by his and his family's admission had suffered for a number of years with his mental health, including depression, would go and see a counsellor called Ruth Quinn. He would say this to Ruth, the counsellor. I have a friend who could send me to prison 
because of what he knows. He then went on to tell the counsellor that he had felt really powerful at an event, now believed him be Mary's funeral, because in his own words, he knew what happened and everyone else in the room didn't. Now, he wasn't coming out and saying anything straight to Ruth. So she said to him, I'm not really clear what you're saying, but I think you're trying to tell me that you've killed someone. To which Jernan replied with a single word, yes. Now, the counsellor was torn. This was really troubling her. On one hand, she had a legal obligation to go to the police. But on the other hand, she just wanted to help this troubled boy out. So she told Jernan that he needs to tell his dad what he just told her, and they will discuss it next week. Now, this happened on May the 9th, 2019, so almost a year after the fire. When the following week came, during the next session on May the 17th, so eight days later, Ruth went into the waiting room and called Chris, Jernan's stepdad. But also, you remember, Chris is Mary's son, biological son. Yeah. So she called him into the room, and Tiernan tells them both that he started a fire that killed Mary by setting fire to her curtains in the bedroom. She told Chris, so Mary's son, during a meeting after Tiernan said this, that she had an obligation to go to the police with this. And this is what she had to say about how Chris reacted when she said that. He said he would do everything in his power to stop me doing that because it would ruin Tiernan's life. There was anger and aggression in him. He was very strong in that assertion, and he went on to say there had been a coroner's court around his mother's death, and that everything was done and dusted, and she had died of asphyxiation. He said it was all resolved, and his family could not go through more pain and trauma. So a year after her death, she did go to the police, Ruth Corinne, and a year after Mary's death, police would reopen the investigation and arrest Tiernan, seizing various pieces of equipment from him, and staging his home. He was interviewed, but he denied everything, including a confession to his counsellor, so he was bailed pending further investigation. During the investigation, they spoke to the two friends who told the police about the game of truth or dare, and they also discovered some interesting search queries on his computer. Isn't it always the digital footprint in this day and age? Like... Yes. It is. And for a kid as well, to probably be quite savvy and know how to like I mean, I get it, it's it's more nowadays than just clearing your cookies, but I wonder whether he he just left them there or I think he did, yeah. So because don't forget, it'd be an accident or death, it's it's gone. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. So these are not all of them, but I wanted to give you an idea of some of the search queries they found on his computer. Oh, so a month before the fire, so April of 2018, he searched with the phrases under 18 murder, <gasps> I want to cause evil, and also how long the murderers serve in prison. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not just by those by those searches. It's not you haven't I haven't done it to save your grandma from dementia. You've done it because you've had like dark urges, haven't you? Oh, we see about that. In June of 2018, so a month after the fire, he searched through the phrases, I think I might be turning into a serial killer, please help. And oh, also wow. with the phrase, urge to kill again. Oh, wow. 
There were several other searches related to the murder in the following months, including the phrases, I am a murderer, I'm a monster, and also, I'm going to hell, can autistic people kill? And just a few days before his first counselling session, he searched through the phrase, mental health support for murderers. So as well as those search terms, they also found a detailed drawing, which is a floor plan of Mary's bungalow, and the outside area, including good hiding places, and the best way to escape. Next to the floor plan was a list of things that he had or needed, and also notes, such as doorbell is a good distraction, 12pm to 1pm not a good time, doors locked at night. Now, I'll, I'll pop up a photo of the floor plan and notes on our social medias, but it's obvious he had been planning this. It's just really upsetting, actually. I was I, not hoping, like, that's the wrong word, but obviously when you explained that it, it wasn't an accidental death and there was something more sinister at play, I was hoping it might be just somebody Mary didn't know. Like, this is heartbreaking, isn't it? We've got to remember, they don't have proof that he actually did it yet. No. Search engines but are not it's perceptive. definitely building up, isn't it? It is, but he does go to court, but I'm not saying he gets found guilty here. So it took almost two years for the police to investigate this. But on the 9th of March 2021, Tiernan Darton would be charged with the murder of Mary Gregory. He would, however, plead not guilty to both murder and manslaughter. Wow. So he pled not guilty. Because you know they always get the second option just in case, manslaughter. Yeah. yeah, so he pled not guilty to both. Yeah, so he's absolutely denying that he had any involvement whatsoever. Yes. During the trial, it would be argued by his defence team and himself on the stand that what he said to his friends due to truth or dare game was just his attempt at impressing them that he wasn't being truthful. And he also denied ever saying anything truthful to Ruth Quinn, the counsellor, and that the meeting between her and his stepdad never happened. Now, you have to remember, his stepdad, Chris, was Mary's biological son, and Tiernan wasn't his biological son. But so Chris took the stand. And he also denied that the meeting with Ruth ever took place. He said that his stepson had been suffering with depression for many years and that his mind would often go to dark places. And this explained the search terms and why he felt guilt for his grandma's death, but he never actually went there. And if he had killed his mum, he'd be the first one to take him to the police station. I'm, I'm probably some extra context. I didn't put this in, but it's probably worth saying he also, from the age of 12, he also homeschooled Tiernan because of his mental health problems. So he was saying, basically, meeting with the counsellor never happened. Yes, he did use those search terms, but because his mind went to dark places, but he would never actually did anything. Wow, okay. So the police still don't really have, like, as damning as it looks, that floor plan is not proof. No. And his friends said it, say, said it in a game of truth or dare, and he's denying ever saying anything to his counsellor. And the other witness in the room is also denying that the meeting even happened, that he didn't even go into the room with the counsellor. Yeah, and, and the jury have to take what they hear at face value, don't they? Yes. However, there was more evidence that came up. 
So during the trial, it would also emerge that in the remains next to the bungalow, it's not in the bungalow, there was an empty Coke can in a plastic bag and some food wrappings for some Tunnock's tea cakes uh, and would be found. And they would be traced to Tien and buying them a couple of hours before in a petrol station. But again, it doesn't necessarily say that he did it. Um, no. So the defence would ask the original investigator to re-examine the fire again, Jim Stone, because he was an independent investigator. He worked for the fire service. And he concluded again that the fire was accidental. Wow. So the prosecution got their own witness to examine the fire. And their witness concluded that the fire had started at or near the bedroom window with a naked flame from either a match or a lighter. So the two experts now conflicted each other. Chernin's friends were called as witnesses from the True Ford Air game, and they would describe what Chernin told them, and that coincidentally matched the prosecution expert witnesses' testimony on how the fire started. Now, throughout the trial, Chernin maintained his innocence, and then when the trial would conclude... So would he be found guilty of either murder or manslaughter or not guilty of both? What do you think? Oh, I don't know, because sometimes like expert witnesses can be brought into question as well, can't they? They could like, it depends how the questioning goes, but they can almost like make the narrative fit like what they've been told, can't they, by the prosecution. So sometimes jury don't always take those expert opinions in you know for what they for what they are at face value there's like an element of well have they, have they just made it fit the narrative of this naughty 17 year old but um personally i think you won't be surprised to hear i i think he's guilty i think that you know the the truth or dare game coupled with the internet searches and the fact that you know upon reflection Others have have taken a look at the crime scene and and seen that the, the fire could have been started in a different way to a an un, uh, to a lit cigarette left. Um, I I'd hope that they would find him guilty, but that's because I've kind of sentenced him myself. Um, but yeah, I'm curious to see what the jury thought. Yeah, I think it could have gone either way, especially with her own son saying no, he didn't do this. Um, but the trial would conclude. And he would be found guilty of murder by the jury. Wow, okay. So when speaking at the sentencing hearing, the judge, and I've 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 purposely withheld something which I'll I'll bring up now. But <laughs> speaking at the sentencing hearing, the judge, Mrs. Justice Yip, DBE, will state that as he was under eighteen when he committed the offence, she had to follow the guidelines for an underage killer. So the starting point of twelve years was where she started. She commented on the fact that both Tiernan and his stepdad lied on a witness stand about the counsellor's statement, and that as a result, that would have caused a lot of distress to the counsellor, being called wow. a liar, with yeah. her profession being brought into question. She said that it was obvious Tiernan had planned a moment when his dad was away to kill Mary, because his dad actually went to a music festival at this time, so it was that, all quite premeditated as yeah. well. I mean, obviously the internet searches had given that 
that plan as well. But yeah, it's all very premeditated. Yeah, the, the judge commented on that. He had planned it in detail. He'd actually dismantled two smoke alarms to stop them going off, but he'd missed one of them. Oh. And it also, the coffee table that Mary was found under, yeah. he'd pushed that up against the conservatory door so she couldn't get out. So oh, she'd, no. So she'd made it to the conservatory door, couldn't get out, so she went underneath the coffee table. Oh, and there I was thinking she'd pushed it against an internal door to stop the... No, he'd done that, unlocked the door. Um, oh, that's heartbreaking. Yeah, so... so She'd made it there, so the neighbours, I think, would have heard her screaming. Um, what, what a nasty piece of work, and what a horrible case. And he'd also... You Mary would have known? I don't know. She, she'd have known because she had dementia, so I don't think she would have known it was him, but I think she would have known she was going to die. Oh. Um, he'd also disconnected the phone, so she couldn't call for help. The yeah. judge, yeah, the judge dismissed the excuse he gave his friends that he was doing out of mercy because of Mary's dementia, because she said no one would bear someone alive to put them out of their misery no. or block them from escaping. No, no, absolutely not. She she said, the judge said it was hard to imagine the horror Mary must have felt, and it was obvious she felt horror because the neighbours could hear her screaming. Oh, wow, this is just awful. Now, the judge accepted that he might be autistic, though he was never officially diagnosed and he had suffered, and the judge also accepted that he had suffered from depression and anxiety since the age of 12. She noted that in his home, they also found plans to stalk and attack other women and they also found a kill list, women he had planned to kill. So the judge said he was. it was obvious he was planning on killing again, which again ties into, I guess, the search engine results that they found. Yeah. She took into consideration his age and his previous good character, but she said, ultimately, neither of those things outweighed the aggravating factors of the crime. Mm. So she, even though there's a 12-year starting point, she sentenced him to life with a minimum term of 15 years, but she stressed several times that it didn't mean he'd get out after 15 is that he would serve no less than that. So, Rachel, Chernin had gotten away with murder until he said something to the counsellor, and Mary's own son was defending him and lied for him. How crazy is that? What do you think of this case? You know, there's a part of me that can sympathise with Mary's own son because I just think it's so horrific. You would never want to think that your stepson or someone, maybe not formally your stepson, but somebody that you'd taken into your care over the last years and who'd been welcomed by your own mother could do that. So I think he, there's just that sense of denial coming through from him, isn't there? And Well, possibly, but just, uh, I didn't put this in the script that I probably should have done. The counsellor also said when she invited him into the room, the first thing he said before she said anything or Tiana said anything is, is this about what happened with my mum? So to me, that indicates that he probably knew. Okay, yeah. I Yeah, I just, I feel like the human mind can play tricks on us sometimes, can't it? And, like, there's part of me that thinks he just wouldn't have wanted to think that badly of this this young boy. 
in his eyes. And also, you know, his partner may well have said to him, like, there's no way he would do it. He just loves his partner so much that yeah. he protects his family at no cost so that he's not brought into question about whether he has to pick between his mum or his partner. Do you know? Like, yeah. I, I think love and family are incredibly tricky things to navigate. And when it comes to crime, they can always be like, you know, the things that kind of stand in the way of, of justice and the truth. Um, yeah. Definitely. Yeah, no, definitely. Actually, I, I can see your point of view there. It's just so, it's just such an unusual thing. If he had managed to, I think if he had not said anything to the counselor, it was obviously eating away at him. Oh, yeah, yeah. And there's an element as well, sorry to interrupt, there's an element as well that he will, if he's got these serial killer tendencies, like, you know, they take trophies from their crime scenes, don't they, to to always look back on and, and remember the buzz and the high that they got. You know, there's an element of him potentially wanting to brag here because yeah. he's taken someone's life and he's gone away with it. Like, I guess if you've got that frame of mind, you want someone to know. Maybe. There's a dangerous side to it, isn't that? If you watch like some films and TV shows, you always see like the psychiatrist or the psych- psychologist saying, this is confidential, patient, um, patient and counsellor confidential. So maybe he thought, I could say it to her and she won't say anything. Yeah, no, absolutely. He gets his moment uh, to shine and that yeah. she's bound by the law. But in, in reality, you know, there's obviously um, fine print there that says unless she feels like someone else's life is at risk or or has been or her, her own is, then she's allowed to go to. Well, well, I'm not ashamed to say I've had counselling in the past, Rachel. And the first thing they always say when you meet a new counsellor, before you say anything, they say to you, now, what we say, what we talk about is confidential unless you tell me about harm that you've done to someone else or you're planning to do, then I have an obligation to tell. So that's the first thing the council always says. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, they have to. That's the only, like, caveat that if it involves violence that have happened or about to happen, mm-hmm. they have to say something. And and I also just want to you know appreciate that that counselor who's who's you know been brought into question and had her or his um kind of like uh job put on the line really because he's been or she's been um contested in court like it's not right what that father's done there i'm just trying to kind of comment this from a different angle of like fatherly love brotherly love you know the the kind of the love and the family ties that come come into things make you do things you never thought like morally you would do. And and obviously it's not acceptable that he has lied about that counseling session taking place. That is, that is absolutely wrong. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'm just trying to, trying to look at it from a different slant as to why he's gone down the route of protecting that boy at all costs. I, I know it's split the family. I know that it's split like him and his brother Peter, but. Well, it would, wouldn't it? Like. Yeah. I don't know if it's what's happened now, but at the time. Like where Peter did like statements to the press afterwards, like thanking everyone and saying he never, he always doubted the original conclusion, but he, he like he stressed that Chen's not 
we've never had grandson by blood or marriage and people in the media saying that he is and he wasn't and you know what I mean so it obviously distanced itself from that so that's that's a sad yeah. thing because ultimately if Chris all he was doing if he was trying to protect him Tiernan he's lost him anyway and he's lost the other part of his family yeah oh it's, it's awful isn't it it's really tragic this case for everyone yeah. involved so um, I, interestingly was the father charged with perverting uh, the court, court, no, court of justice now no, nothing. I think they probably thought it was not worth it, but yeah, it's nothing now. Um, yeah, nothing. But um, yeah, it's sad. But I guess the only positive thing to come out of this is that they got him before he could kill again. Yeah, absolutely. He, he literally had a list of women he wanted to stalk and kill. Wow. So who knows how that could have ended? Because he'd never been arrested before. So even if they'd got like some sort of like DNA or stuff on that. They would have yeah. made to trace it back to him. No, yeah, he'd have, he'd have definitely gotten away with killing at least one more time, wouldn't he? Yeah, not being so. on their radar if that was his intent. That's wild. So shall I wrap this up then, Rachel? Yeah, yeah. So this has been season three, episode twelve, called "Truth or Dare," and if it's safe for you to do so, I'd like you to relax, close your eyes, and picture the scene. Imagine you're having a fun night with your friends. The drinks are flowing and the laughter fills the air. When someone suggests a game of truth or dare, which option would you pick? So everyone, thank you for listening. We really hope we see all or as many of our Patreon listeners that can join tomorrow and also anyone new. So you have, if you're listening to this, before 7pm tomorrow on Wednesday the 26th of July, you still have a chance to sign up, be a part of the live, and win some prizes. With tears start at one pound per month. One pound to see our shiny, happy faces. My shiny forehead. And uh, obviously, our Patreon listeners will be listening to this the week before. So you, I'm sorry, you've got another eight days to wait. Yes. Okay, everyone, thank you for listening, and we'll see you possibly tomorrow. Bye. All right.